0: We need to appreciate that when we gaze upon an image of an aborted victim, we are not simply looking at what abortion does, but we are confronted by someone who by that image takes his or her place among us and calls us to bring an end to the ideas and actions that sought to cast them out of the human family to begin with. That opening quote is a powerful quote by the guest that we are having on today, Dr. Monica Miller. This is going to be a short discussion on the use of abortion victim photos. And that opening quote, like I said, so much power um, because those images call us, they confront us with not just a statistic, not just a number, not just sort of a something out there, but confronts us with a a human being, a, a person, a someone who by that image challenges us to remove the actions that that brought them there in the first place, that, that, that really just took them from the human family uh, and from this life in the first place. They're still part of the human family, but really took them from this life. I digress for a moment. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. With me again is
1: my wonderful co-host, Cameron. Hello, sir. Hey, hey, good to be here. Good to be lined up with another sweet interview with another cool person. As I've said on a number of occasions, you want to meet your pro-life heroes, you start a pro-life podcast, um, because that is exactly <laughs> what we have done. I have um, been a fan of Dr. Monica Miller for a very long time. Her book, Abandoned, um, as we as you might have right there. I don't know if that's a book that you just pulled off the shelf, but Abandoned is a phenomenal pro-life resource that she put out uh, 10 or so years ago. Um And so really looking forward to this conversation with her. But before we get into that, we probably have a few news and notes before we get into the interview, right? Uh, I don't have any,
0: unless you want some merch items, which you can find on our merch shop, ProLifeGuys.com slash shop. If you want to support the podcast, Patreon.com slash ProLifeGuys. And you can support the podcast by the merch as well. Cam, I don't have that book with me, uh, Abandoned the Untold Story of the Abortion Wars, but I do have this one here called I Was a Stranger, put together by our guest today, Dr. Monica Miller, with short excerpts from leaders in the pro-life mm-hmm. movement responding to abortion, reflecting on abortion, on their time in the pro-life movement. Um, short one-page excerpts. Uh, here's one by uh, Jill Stanek, Jonathan Van Maer and our colleague is in there, Dr. Monica Miller's in there, Mark Harrington from Created Equal. Uh, very small booklet that is, um, yeah, Powerful again um, with the way it describes abortion, the, the way it, it it really highlights the injustice that's taking place in our time. I don't have the other book on me now. I, I You have yours at home, Cam, which you don't have it here as well either. But um, we will put a link in the description if you want to get that book. Dr. Miller is going to talk about it in just a moment. Our guest today, Dr. Miller, she is a nationally known pro-life leader. She's the founder and director of Citizens for a Pro-Life Society. She's been active in the pro-life movement since 1976. She's also a professor of theology at Madonna University in Livonia, Michigan. She's the author of several published books and articles, including the one that you mentioned, Cam, Abandoned, The Untold Story of the Abortion Wars. This is our conversation with Dr. Miller. Dr. Miller, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today.
2: Yes, my pleasure to be with you guys.
0: We're looking forward to talking about abortion victim photos. Uh, You've defended abortion victim photos in in talks and writings that you've done. But before we get there, I'd like to hear a little bit about your story into the pro-life movement. What convicted you to get involved in the first place and how did you join?
2: Well, uh... I was a lot younger (laughs) and I got involved in 1976 and I was newly, fairly newly graduated from Southern Illinois University with a degree in theater, Um, but I had decided I was not going to pursue a career in acting. So I was trying to figure out what to do with myself, you might say. Um, So I still hung around uh, Carbondale, Illinois, even after graduation. And I attended a retreat um, at the uh, Campus Newman Center uh, uh, during Holy Week of 1976. And at this retreat, I met a woman Named Shirley Parks, and so you know we were going around the room. The priest was, you know, the the leader of this uh, retreat, and so everybody was going around the room saying what they, who they were, what they were involved with, blah blah, and 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 then Father uh, said to Shirley, so Shirley, uh, tell us about your involvement in this, in, in what he called the pro-life movement. I hadn't even heard any pro life movement. What, what the heck was that? Okay. And of course this was already three years after Roe v. Wade. So I, I, you can see what, what my, you know, I was not very socially aware at the time too involved in, uh, trying to become a great and famous actress. But in any case, uh, she, you know, she explained that she was involved in in, uh, in, in ending abortion, and and uh, so I don't know. I, you know, I became friends with Shirley very quickly, and she initiated me into the pro life movement. Uh, we palled around together. She took me to meetings. I met other pro lifers. She gave me good books to read. Okay, so I was having my education. Uh, And and two books that were very, very uh, foundational in my uh, pro-life awareness, Um, the uh, Jack Wilkie's Handbook on Abortion, which at that time was like the pro-life Bible, okay? And Q&A is a Q&A format, and so enormously informative. Um, And then a book that was actually published a year or two before Roe v. Wade, called Abortion and Social Justice by Hilgers and Horan. And Dr. Hilders is still living. Um, uh, uh, Horan was an attorney that actually, Horan, I wish I could remember his first name. Uh, I wanna say Michael, but he was one of the co-founders of Americans United for Life. Which was a very, which is still a very prominent pro-life legal advocacy group. In any case, uh, so I, I became aware, very aware of the humanity of the unborn um, by, especially reading uh, the chapters on fetal development, um, their early, the early biography of every man by Bart T. Heffernan, uh, M.D., just. Opened up a, a window uh, to me on the the dynamic life of the unborn child, um, and I, I became keenly aware that when we t- when we when we're talking about the unborn, we are we are, we are talking about a personal someone, not just a fetus or an idea or uh, that pro life movement is a ph- you know that we're dealing with personal someones. And in 1977, I moved to Chicago. And um, in fact, I talk about this in my book, Uh, Abandoned, the the Untold Story of the Abortion War. So let me put in a shameless plug for that book. Maybe you have it on your shelf. (laughs) Yeah. But I uh, in 19 1978, I met uh, someone who li- literally even more than Shirley Parks uh, changed my life, and that was I met Joseph Scheidler, um, literally a giant, and he was a tall man, six foot, foot four, <laughs> um, and I met him. A, a, another woman who was actually very instrumental in my in my pro life initiation. Uh, Marcita Hecht was a parishioner at St. Ignatius Parish in Rogers Park, uh, Chicago, and that's where I I, I started to get my my theology degree at Loyola. That was why I moved to Chicago, to study theology. So I went from theater to theology. I I think I was just going through the THs. But... she asked. She invited me to go to a, a pro-life meeting at the at the offices of the Illinois Right to Life Committee. And I says, "Okay, sure, why not?" So we hopped on the L train and we zoomed down to the Loop uh, and we went to this meeting. And Joe Scheidler, at that time, in 1978, he was the executive director of Illinois Right to Life. And lo and behold, the meeting was to plan a sit-in at a, at a Chicago abortion clinic. <laughs> And when time came to raise your hand, uh, are you willing to risk arrest? I, my hand just shot right up because what excuses did I have? I, I, you know, a foot loose and fancy free. You know, I was twenty-four years old, and so I participated in that in that rescue, which I also talk about in my book. And I really, from that point on, it's been full steam ahead. Uh, It's kind of ironic in a way that that we're. We're doing this interview right now because tomorrow, uh, January 18th, is is the one-year anniversary of Joe Scheidler's death. He died uh, one year ago, January 18th. And I just love that man. Um, He had an enormous influence on my my pro-life activism. And I was very, very good friends with him, especially in about the last 10 to 15 years years of his life. We were very close personal friends. So there it is. So he created a monster.
1: <laughs> <laughs> very cool. I, I'm sure that we could do an entire series on Joe Schuyler. I know that our colleague Jonathan Van Maren has written extensively about the impact and, and shockwaves that he sent through American culture with um, his direct approach to pro-life action. He, he, um, and he was it's amazing. an
2: incredibly creative mind and had a lot of he he was not afraid to take risks and by the way he has his his book was published before he died uh racketeer for life which actually was published by the same publisher that published my book so there it's and it's obviously it's still available at tanbooks.com uh both of our books are available there
1: love it and and for those of you tuning in you can tune in into a new series that I'll be doing which is a book review series i just did my first review of lime 5 by mark crutcher oh, yes. um these books that that you mentioned monica will be will be featured very soon because they are oh, incredibly influential books that'd be terrific um but- I want to dive in. So you talk about this kind of gradual approach. It gives me a little bit of comfort because I, too, was basically completely oblivious to the pro-life movement until I was in university as well. And we have a lot of people come on who are like, oh, yeah, when I was 11, I decided I was going to be a full-time pro-life activist and um, putting us to shame. But I, well, I appreciate abortion your... Well, your... was
2: legal when I was 11 years old. Okay. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. You had an excuse. I did not. Right. Um, but let's dive into the topic of abortion victim photography and and encountering the real people, the real victims. I, I love the way that you put it in in kind of your um, how you opened with a, a person as a victim of abortion, not a statistic, not a an abstract concept, but a person. I'm curious about as one of the leading authorities for abortion victim photography and the use of ab- abortion victim photography. Where did your journey begin on that front? So you talk about the sit-in. Where did images of victims of abortion kind of enter into your narrative and maybe trace along how this became something that you are so knowledgeable and so um, focused on, growing the effective use of abortion victim photography in effective pro-life outreach?
2: Well, when I got to Chicago and... uh, after, the, after that meeting that, that I had at the, you know, the plan that sit-in, I started sidewalk counseling uh, with a woman named uh, Donna, um, and and I talk about this in my book as well, Donna Roseski, and so when we were outside of these abortion clinics in Chicago doing sidewalk counseling, we would, one of the brochures that we used and it's still in existence it's probably been in print for 50 years is uh, the life life and death brochure and it it heavily features um photography of abortion victims and so we would use that in our sidewalk counseling and i gotta say that that brochure probably more than just about any other has saved more babies in in the pro life movement, um, it's I think it's printed by um, Hayes Hayes Publishing. That's at Hayes Publishing Company, uh, and I think Hayes Publishing was actually founded by Jack Wilkie that I mentioned a, a little while ago. Um, so I was never shy about you know showing women who I'm, I'm trying to talk out of but not that not that I would pull the the abortion victim photos out very first thing but i always have them so i would say look look at what abortion is going to do to your unborn child and i you know back in the day when hearts were not quite as hardened as sad to say they are now um i remember for example very very distinctly i'm standing at the entrance to uh, the michigan avenue medical center in chicago I have the life and death brochure open and I'm talking to a woman about ready to go into the door. The clinic was up on the sixth floor. So you had to go into the building and go to the elevators in case I'm standing outside. Another woman comes and she looks over my shoulder. And I heard her say, I heard a voice say, oh my God, I can't do that to my baby. I didn't even talk to her. I, you know, I turned around to see who, you know, who was speaking, and and that woman just bolted right out of there. I mean, so that just showing the photo uh, had an impact on saving that that woman from going into the abortion clinic. Um, so, having said all of that, I my real um, entry point into becoming, shall we say, I, if I can even use the word an expert, okay, on this subject, um, no, nobody should be an expert on this subject because there shouldn't this this subject, this subject shouldn't even exist that someone would be an expert on it. But what happened is I I, I got my degree, uh, my my theology degree at Loyola. I I was teaching. A religion at a Catholic high school in Chicago, but then I, you know, I wanted to go on for my PhD, so I, I, I moved to Milwaukee to start my PhD at Marquette. So yes, I've been hanging out with the Jesuits. <laughs> okay, um, and yeah, you're not going to hold that against me, right? <laughs> I, well, I got to say, my the professors, the Jesuit professors I had were amazing. And in particular, Father Donald Keith. Uh, so let me throw his name out there. But what happened is the Michigan Avenue Medical Center, ironically, where I did all, hours and hours of sidewalk counseling, um, there was a guy, and again, this is in my book, but there was an advertising agent who did the advertising, the yellow page advertising for this abortion clinic. And he had a falling out with Dr. Florendo, who ran the place, his Filipino doctor. And he decided he was going to, you know, stab him in the back, uh, met- metaphorically. Uh, okay, And he called uh, a guy that ran a crisis pregnancy center just a few doors down from the abortion clinic. Uh, his name was Tom Bressler, and he said, listen, guys, I have a secret, and you could really, you could really uh, uh, generate a lot of bad publicity for this abortion clinic. Bressler called Joe Scheidler. They had a meeting with this advertising uh, agent, and lo and behold, the advertising agent said, they're throwing fetuses in the trash, in the dumpster behind the abortion clinic. You guys could go get them. You could do some serious damage to that clinic. So sure enough, what happened is that uh, Joe Scheidler called me, even though I was in Milwaukee. He let me know about it. So our groups, Citizens for a Pro-Life Society and the Pro-Life Action League, we teamed up. Now, Chicago is not that far from Milwaukee. It's an hour and a half drive. It's not that far. So in any case, and again, this is the first chapter in my book is the very night, the very first night that we went to that rat infested alley, went in the dumpster and found found the remains. They were in a they were in a cardboard box in a blue bag, blue uh, powder blue, baby blue but a color. We took the, the box to the to Joe Scheidler's garage on the north side of Chicago. And this, and we are now literally face to face uh, with the victims of abortion, and it it changes your life. It's it's the 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 broken bodies, the dismembered legs, and the rib cages, and the hands and the feet, and the and the and their faces. Um, And I knew at right then and there we had to record this murder. And so um, my friend, Edmund Miller, uh, who is um, featured in my book because we eventually got married, (laughs) Um, he and I teamed up and we, we had to teach ourselves how to do photography. And we had these victims literally in my apartment. Um, in Milwaukee, w- waiting to get buried. And this was back in the day when cameras were 35 millimeter film. And you had to know what the lighting was and the F stops and the shutter speeds and and we didn't know what the heck we were doing. It was all uh, trial and error. But I'm gonna say that when all was when all was done, I think we have some of the most literally spectacular, photographs of victims of abortion in the history of the movement. And um, I just knew that we had to record the injustice. And and I do have a, a, a lot of philosophy about why that's important, but uh, I became, shall we say, very good at and learning how to do abortion victim photography and if it weren't for the invention of uh close-up lenses okay i know you had to learn how to do them learn how to use meniscus discs that attaches to the lens and i mean some of these abortion victims are so tiny um for example um six to seven weeks maybe into the eighth week of gestation the arm just the arm from the shoulder to the point of the uh of the of the finger that arm fits on the face of roosevelt on a dime that's how that's how small so to get the to get the detail of the hand we, we needed those close-up lenses um and uh, there, there's just no way you can deny that what you're looking at is a human being, a member of the human race, who suffered a horrific violence, who had made in the image of God, and that this is this is a national atrocity. Um, at now in America, to the tune of 63 million. So I, we feel very important that. The victims of abortion, now I get into some philosophy here, but the victims of abortion have a right to be seen. They have a right to be seen. And there may be, you know, uh, we might say uh, restrictions on time and place, okay, but they have, I believe they have a right to be seen. And and, and why, why do I say that? One of the goals of the pro-abortion movement and one of the goals of the actual practice of abortion in the abortion clinic is to cover the reality, is to deny the truth about the humanity of these of, of these fellow human beings. And so when we do our Face the Truth tours or we publish these photos, we put them up on the internet or whatever, we show them to moms that are going into abortion clinics or whatever, we're reversing that injustice to that baby. That baby has a right to speak his or her truth. And and that's why I, I, I say it's essential to the pro-life movement that we allow these victims to be exposed. And our, and and we have to, you know, literally and we you know we did these face the truth tours in uh in Illinois when I was teaming up with Joe Scheidler uh, back in the early part of this uh century, uh, uh, literally 2000, 2001, 2002 when I was re- briefly we lived in Illinois uh in the early part of this century. Um they have face the truth. You want to have legalized abortion, you need to look at it. So there's part of my philosophy on that subject.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, that's profound. Victims have the right to be seen. And we could talk more about that. But one of the things we really want to dive into um, are some of the disagreements within the pro-life movement, because there are a host of pro-lifers who would say, yes, perhaps abortion victim photos might be uh, appropriate in some circumstances, but certainly shouldn't be used in the general pro-life outreach or activism or anything like that. And so I wonder if you could respond to a number of objections that some people bring up to the use of abortion victim photos. The first being perhaps that um, they, they sort of undermine the dignity of the victims of abortion. That we're using these images of, you know, perhaps against their will um, because these children have lost their lives. But we're really using them in a way that's taking away their dignity after death, how would you respond to that? How could we um, think about the use of abortion victim photos in our outreach in a way, and and use it in a way where we're not actually, um, yeah, taking the dignity away from these children?
2: Well, actually, I, I think we're doing exactly the opposite. I think when we show the violence that was done to that personal someone that I spoke about a while ago, we are honoring the life of that baby. Um, if we, if we, um, part, it, to not show the truth of what happened to that person, uh, I think is to participate in the lie of the abortion industry. That, look, it, it's, it's, it's obvious, and I, I've even experienced this uh, per, personally when I've been on interviews with Uh, people who promote abortion, abortion, abortionists on various TV shows that I've been on, the thing that they are horrified, they're absolutely horrified, should you dare show, they don't know how to respond to it. it. It shuts down the conversation on their part. They have no response. They can't deny the truth of what they're looking at. And they're horrified that the audience is also now going to be exposed to that truth. This is Shall we say a, a a kind of weapon that we have in our arsenal uh, to 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 expose the 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 injustice? Uh, you could say the same thing about uh, victims of the Nazi Holocaust. No, don't show don't show those bodies um, that are stacked up like cordwood, right? Um, that, that the nazis killed in their concentration we we didn't ask that give the, they you know we didn't ask for them to you know, for their permission that we don't we have their permission <laughs> okay and here's the other thing if we show the victims uh, especially let's say to mothers going into an abortion clinic or on a face the truth tour and a mom who is scheduled for an abortion sees sees that baby that and she changes her mind then that means that baby did not die in vain that baby's life saved another life and i have a little story about that um there's a pregnancy help center in milwaukee the milwaukee pregnancy Help center Uh, a friend of mine uh uh operates it and she had put my book abandoned on the coffee table in the waiting room. And so a woman who was coming to be counseled and she was abortion minded was flipping through the book. And there are eight photographs in the book of abortion victims. One of them is of a seven week, the hand of a seven week aborted baby. And she was horrified. She, she says, wow. Wow. That that's what my baby, because she was about seven weeks gestational age in her pregnancy. So that that photograph saved her her baby. Um, so to hide or to not show, I I, I think is is just wrong-minded. Um, and okay, are some people going to be offended? Well, maybe some woman who's had an abortion be be uh, saddened or wounded. But I think those are the risks in the war that we're in, these are the risks that we have to take. And frankly, and I think I can speak since I'm a woman, but the unborn are the first victims of abortion, not the woman, not the abortionist, not the clinic staff, the baby that suffered the dismemberment. And um, sometimes I think though, that when a woman who's had an abortion is trying to deny the, the truth of what of what she did and maybe not only deny but frankly justify look at all these women coming out the Hollywood you know uh, uh, actresses that are coming out justifying if I if I you know if I hadn't had the abortion I wouldn't be what I am today you got to be kidding me that you you what are you honestly saying is that your feminine nature is opposed to you. <laughs> That you and, and what are you all what else are you saying you're saying that I as a woman I actually have to kill something okay you don't want to call it a baby or a human but you're you're actually saying I have to kill something in order to be successful that what is that is the most screwy anthropology I might even say gynecology <laughs> that, because that's what they're basically saying that Feminine nature is opposed to your good. It's it's so messed up, but that's a little bit of a, di- a digression. But okay, uh, anyway, um, and, and so I, maybe you have another another uh, criticism or objection. But uh, go go ahead. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I think that makes a ton of sense. I I think you you say it very well of of that we're not undermining the dignity, we're demonstrating the dignity of the child and exposing the act that has undermined the dignity. We're showing abortion and abortion providers and abortion industry as that which is taking away the dignity of a precious human being, member of the human family. And and I wonder, you you touched on it in that answer as well, that obviously there are people who push back for a variety of reasons. And I'm curious, I'm, I'm sure that you've heard of it a million times, Peter, I know that you and I have heard this a million times as well, about this idea that showing abortion victim photography turns more people off of the pro-life movement than it does... Um, brings them into the pro-life movement. And I know that I have a go-to line that I I go to regarding whether it's about the pro-life movement or about abortion. But Monica, I'm I'm curious, how do you respond to people who say it turns people off of the pro-life movement?
2: Well, I think that in some ways that is a newer argument. Um, I wrote a kind of a magnum opus on the use of abortion victim photos probably, it could be 10 years ago now in the new Oxford Review. Um, This is a Catholic periodical. Um, And I give, uh, I start out that article, um, I think I called it um, Graphic Images and Apologia. Now, by the way, I don't think we should be calling them graphic images anymore. So there's, you know, and I'm going to take credit for changing that, our jargon. (laughs) Um, because they're not graphic images, they are abortion victim images. And uh, that makes a a big difference in the way that we talk about what is the subject of the photo. Besides which, not all abortion victim photos are graphic. They're disturbing, they're unsettling, but they're not necessarily all very, you know, graphic. And I actually have a philosophy about that as well. But you do uh, you do a history of the pro-life movement, and you will see going back into the uh, 1970s, even even before Roe v. Wade, all of the great pro-life leaders, beginning with with Dr. Jack Wilkie, used abortion victim photos. Nobody, it was like a no-brainer to them. There's no, in fact, there. This, I mean, as far as you know, the history of the movement. No, probably hardly anybody remembers this. I'm I'm old enough to to even have used what are called the Wilkie slides. So you were gonna you were gonna do your your pro-life education in the in the basement of your local parish. You would get this these cassette slides. These were slides. You'd put them in a carousel thing with and you projected them on a screen. Okay, and they were. Uh, fetal development slides to educate on the humanity of the unborn and a whole bunch of abortion victim photos. Nobody nobody batted an eye twice that this was going to be a problem. I think what happened is that there there, there has been a kind of um, need, a perceived need that we need to be the, shall, shall we say, a kind, the kinder, gentler movement. You know, we don't offend, you know, we, we don't make anybody mad. We don't make any, we don't disturb anyone. And so we, 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 uh, put the images in the closet. We don't show them because, you know, we, we want to be accepted. We want to be, we want to be a uh, mainstream. And, and so as, as I, I think, so as I'm saying, you know, maybe within the last 20 years, out of fifty, okay, legalized abortion in America is at, at, at number forty nine, okay, as of this this anniversary coming up uh, this week. Um, it, it's, it, I, I just think it's wrong minded. I don't see any, you know, if somebody's going to be disturbed uh, about um, the, these photos again. Maybe that's in some ways a, a risk we have to take. Now, now, haven't said all that. You know we I've done a a lot of these face the truth tours where where you know we have our very large three three feet by five foot signs abortion victims and they we line them up on the street I know that you guys have a, a similar uh uh movement that does rosemary Connell I if you know Rosemary Connell okay great lady uh in Canada um but, you know, I'm not going to set up the, uh, the, the signs in front of a daycare, in front of a nursery, in front of an elementary school. I'm not going to do it at a, at a park where there's children playing on a swing set. OK, so you have to be able you know, you, you have to be prudent on your audience. Um, so, so, you know, there is, shall we say, time and place issues that need to be considered on who's going to see the photos, when when should they be shown? How are we going to show them, and so on? So I, I I'm on, I'm on board with all of that.
0: No, that's that's exactly right. And on the topic of children, that is one of the objections we often get to the use of abortion victim photos as well. But I think you hit the nail on the head. No one in the pro life movement is directly targeting children with right. the use of these images. We're not going to the high schools and uh, we are going to the high schools. We're not going to the elementary schools and we're not going to the daycares and we're. You know, we're not going directly to these places where there are a lot of children, but we do need to show these images in public. And and it's well, right? It and is sad that children have to see what the adults well, and, and are doing and children will to the other children.
2: Yeah, children will occasionally see them. a kind of a side effect. Um, but you know, the problem is not so much the children as it is the adults. The adults go ballistic. The mom and dad go crazy. They, they start to get angry. I, I mean, I yes, I've been on a number of these Face the Truth tours where an, an angry dad will actually pull over, get out of the car, and start yelling at us. Okay, um, here's, you know, it's like they haven't thought, obviously they haven't thought the thing through. Because what they need to say, what okay, what is it psychologically that disturbs the child? Not that he sees, he or she sees, a dismembered baby. Okay. Yes, that's traumatic, but it's why the baby is broken. That's the issue. And, and if, a, if a kid sees um, a dog on the side of the road that got run over or a deer that's smashed, that's traumatic. What if, What if the kid knew that somebody deliberately ran over the dog? That's the thing that, that sticks in the in, in the psychology of that child's mind. So the parent needs to when they when if they happen to come uh, uh, you know across a uh, face the truth tour type thing, I mean they have to be prepared. And that maybe that you know I don't know how we'd go around doing it, but the parent needs to say, "Oh, those babies got hurt, and those people that are holding the signs don't want us to forget them. We're done, okay." Uh, The the trauma has been mitigated by the way that the parent approaches the the, the victim photo. And so, I mean, there is a way to handle it. Listen, when my kids were like five years old, they would go on these pickets with us and they're holding the signs themselves. So it's the parent who mediates the truth to the child that makes the, the biggest difference. Uh, when, we, when we talk about children who may happen to to, to, to see the photos.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dr. Miller, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up at this point. We're so grateful that you um, have come on. You've talked about some of these frequently asked questions that people uh, pose to us and to others in the movement. I wonder if you could highlight one more time. I, you gave that shameless plug earlier, but do it again. Uh, the name of your book or books or anywhere where you want people to be directed, to learn more about you, right. to read well, more about what you've written. So yeah, on.
2: I, uh, please buy my book, <laughs> Ab- *Abandoned: The Untold Story of the Abortion Wars*. Uh, Saint Benedict Press or TenBooks.com. Um, may I do a little bragging? That Dinesh D'Souza said it was the best book ever written on abortion. God bless him for that. Also, people should go to imagesofabortion.com, our website that features abortion victim photography, imagesofabortion.com. And all those photos are available for anyone to use. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We're going to put those links in the show notes as well. So if people are listening, they can just scroll down, go to the show notes and uh, be directed to uh, a link to your book, a link to the images as well. So Dr. Miller, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today.
2: Thank you. God bless you.
0: That is Dr. Monica Miller, our guest today, talking about abortion victim photography. Kim, I know you always have thoughts (laughs) and reflections
1: at the end of every, every episode. So take it away, sir. I I just have so much appreciation for the the leadership and guidance that Dr. Miller has offered to the pro-life movement for so long, her articles and papers on abortion victim photography, even as she mentioned, changing the terminology that is so commonly used in um, the abortion conversation, both by pro-lifers and abortion advocates, of graphic images versus abortion victim photography, pointing towards who it is, the subject of the content, not the object or what was done to them. I think she was brilliant, brilliant um, leader on that end. Um, and just one, one last thought that I had with regards to one of the questions I bounced off of her regarding... Um, abortion victim photography, pushing people away from the pro-life movement. I, um, the answer that I always go with, I, I think that she offered a, a very, very sound and profound answer as well. But what I often say is something to the effect of what is the goal of the project you're doing? If the goal of your project is to win people for the movement, then you might want a different strategy. If your goal is to end abortion, if your goal is to change minds and save lives in the project that you're doing, then it probably makes more sense to demonstrate the evidence to push people away from abortion. All right, We often talk about this isn't a matter of the grass is greener on the other side. We're trying to tell people that choosing life is better than choosing abortion. It's difficult to make the case that going through pregnancy, nine months of pregnancy, plus however many years, decades after that of of having a child, is easier or more conventional or more convenient or more comfortable than an abortion which is is communicated by the abortion movement as something that is an afternoon appointment and you're back to work the next day kind of thing this is a matter of demonstrating the the battered wasteland filled with with broken bodies that we're standing in right now showing the depravity of where we're at right now and saying you need to move it's not a matter of me having a better field it's not matter of, I have greener grass than you do. You don't have any grass. You have a pasture full of broken bodies of children who have been abandoned over the last 50 years in America. And you need something better than that. And so I often talk about, sure, if you don't want to have abortion victim photography on the front page of your fundraising campaign or your membership drive, that's up to you. But it does have a very valuable role in outreach that is seeking to change minds and save lives and not just build the membership of your organization. And so Depends on the project, depends on what you're trying to do. Um, obviously, we at CCBR are very committed to the latter, that, that public outreach that is working to change minds and save lives. And so definitely want to encourage you to consider integrating it into your um, pro-life outreach. And if you want to learn as to how you can do that, where you can get better education, on how to effectively and appropriately use signage and whatnot they are power tools they can do a lot of really good if you know what you're doing they can do a lot of damage unfortunately if you don't know what you're doing and so if you want to integrate it into your pro-life outreach please don't hesitate to contact us through our website prolifeguys.com you can email us there as well or you can hit us up on any of your favorite social media platforms that we're on with questions as to how you can integrate abortion victim photography into the pro-life outreach that you're doing yeah, and as we wrap this up, I just want to highlight a book by our colleague Jonathan
0: Van Maren, Seeing Is Believing Why Our Cultures Must Face the Victims of Abortion, uh, explains why we use abortion victim photos from uh, historical evidence and more, and, and does highlight as well how we can use these images effectively a little bit. Um, so don't reach, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can find this book on our website, prolifeguys.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're always grateful that uh, you've given us your time, you've given us your ears and allowed us to uh, share a little bit with you about what's happening in the abortion war to equip you, to motivate you hopefully, and, uh, and to give you the tools that you need to be active in the movement, to do what you can to join us as a pro-life movement to save, to change minds, to save lives, and to transform our culture.